Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You're listening to episode number 42 of the Awesomers.com podcast. As always, you can go to Awesomers.com slash 42 to see all the show notes and relevant details. Today, my special guest is Andy Paul. Now, Andy's had a successful sales career that has spanned literally four decades. He sold everything from women's shoes to complex communication systems that sold for tens of millions of dollars. He's closed over half a billion dollars worth of products and services, selling to companies ranging from small businesses to some of the world's largest enterprises. Since he founded his company in 2000, he's been on a mission to educate sales leaders and sales professionals about the power of continuous education to transform their own performance. His message is getting out more and more as people are paying attention. He's actually number eight on LinkedIn's list of top 50 global sales experts. And that's 140,000 people strong in terms of his following over on LinkedIn. That's impressive indeed. His podcast, Accelerate, has over 660 episodes. Good Lord, that's a lot of episodes. His podcast, Accelerate, by the way, was also listed on Inc.'s list of the top 10 leadership podcasts. Very impressive indeed. And his two award-winning books, Zero Time Selling and Amp Up Your Sales, were both Amazon bestsellers. What can't this guy do, right? Now, recently, Andy has launched a new program called The Sales House, and he's trying to help sellers today educate themselves and and be able to be successful in such a dynamic and rapidly changing world. And we're going to dive into all of this and how it applies to you as we get into today's episode. I'm glad you're here, and I know that you'll be glad you joined us. Okay, Awesomers, we're back again. Steve Simonson here, joined today by Andy Paul. And uh, Andy, it's great to have you on board today. How's it going? Uh, great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Certainly a pleasure. And uh, as we've already uh, declared in the intro that we've read in, you know, everybody can tell that you're an Awesomer, kind of have a sales background, but I always like to hear it from your own words. Instead of me telling the people how great you are, you tell us how great you are. <laughs> my, my least favorite thing in the world to do, yeah. Talk about myself, right? So what do you want to know? Well, I always like to start out with kind of if you could just summarize right today where you are. What's your business? Uh, how do you make your way in the world today? Um, just in general, where are you and what do you do today? Sure. Well, we've actually just launched a new venture. And we, meaning my my son works with me and has partnered with me on this. And it's called The Sales House. And The Sales House is a, a sales education community for small and mid-sized businesses. So there's a lot of training out there, and but the training really for sellers isn't very effective. And part of the reason being that it really focuses on the wrong things. It's about processes, about methodologies, and it's not about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you, the why behind the how, right? Why, how do you connect with another human being? And, you know, why do you do it a certain way? How do you engage their interest? How do you build trust? How do you, inspire them to go on this buying journey with you. And so really focusing on the the art of selling, if you will, the craft of selling, the science behind the art of selling, of which there's a lot of science these days. So just something that that doesn't get focused on enough. And it's and also for small and mid-sized enterprises, yeah, oftentimes they don't have access to these types of resources with this type of of knowledge and content. So we've launched, we've got hundreds of hours of courses and content on the site. We're adding more all the time. So this is really my focus right now. 
I love it. Well, being able to partner up with your son, I'm sure that's a pleasure in itself. But uh, Saleshouse now, how do we find that? Is it saleshouse.com or what's the... The, the saleshouse.com, yes. I knew there was a secret in there. Okay, yeah. so we'll definitely have that in the show notes. So I'm, I'm definitely uh, in high agreement that general um, small and medium-sized businesses or SMBs, as, as the mm-hmm. likes to call them, they, they lack sales skills in general. And, mm-hmm. and when they try to deploy those, having access to sufficient uh, resources is often uh, lacking as well. So we're going to dive in a little bit more uh, to sales house and kind of how some of your background uh, sure. has, has built into that. So first, uh, I always like to know kind of where you came from. So what was your first job? Uh, well, my first job, professional job or job job? Uh, in so, however way you want to define it, really. <laughs> well, as, as a kid, I worked at swim pools. I was a lifeguard and a swimming coach for years. Uh, actually, in high school, my first sales job is I sold women's shoes for J.C. Penney. Okay, yeah. In in Madison, Wisconsin. So um, that was that was a great learning experience. It was um, for a sixteen year old kid to sell women's shoes uh, <laughs> for my first day at work. I know it's sort of a funny story. First day at work, I I uh, yeah, back out the driveway. My parents are sitting there on the, on the front porch waving goodbye, their youngest son going off to his first job, uh, professional job, so to speak. And I get to the store at eight and the manager shows me how to use the Brannock foot measuring device and convinced he can turn me into the greatest women's shoe salesman in the world. And from the time I show up at the store at eight to the time the doors open at nine, the skies opened up and we had the first huge snowstorm of the year. And that was like a uh, the bat signal, if you will, in the sky for women from, you know, 35 mile radius of JCPenney to show up and get their new winter boots. And uh, so <laughs> I was thrown into the deep end the first day. I waited on dozens and dozens of women, and and yeah, I'd been trained, so to speak, by the manager to, you know, I'd measure the feet and and. Uh, you know, the woman always wanted a, a different size than what I'd measured. And I thought, well, geez, what am I doing wrong here? And it finally dawned on me that, you know, shoes, different size shoes fit differently for different feet. But but uh, the big lesson I'd learned was, you know, I, I kept sort of insisting, no, you are a certain size. And it finally dawned on me, well, it's not about what I think. It's about what they think that's important. So first day on the job, I learned that lesson, which was a good lesson to learn. I love that trial by fire. And also uh, for the millennials out there listening, you can go uh, look on the inner tubes, uh, internets or whatever they're called these days uh, for what JCPenney is. It was a, uh, still exists, I think, but not There's in still some places. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was much more prominent, sort of an anchor store in most malls those days. And um, yeah, yeah, it's where people, lots of people shopped, not so much as today. Yeah, it definitely was a, one of those, uh, you know, standard shops that you would see, as you said, as an anchor in, in many malls. Uh, uh, but those uh, are in a state of change, to, to be sure. So let me see. So uh, how about, so I love that story. But as you think about your career from then to now, kind of 16 mm-hmm. to now, you're what I'm guessing 19. But uh, what, what's your defining <laughs> moment uh, maybe that you had along the way, if you could pin one down? Oh gosh, defining moment. That, there's been so many, but but yeah, interesting story. Interviewing for my first professional job is uh, so I was going to work for a company called Burroughs, which again millennials have to look that up. It's now Unisys, but at the time, second largest computer company in the world. And I was going in for an interview, and uh, the job was to sell mini computers to, to SMBs and really for accounting applications. So I was waiting in the lobby for the sales manager to come get me to interview me. And uh, this guy walks through the, <laughs> the lobby and sort of asked me, you know, hey, what are you here to see? So I said, I'm here to see Ray. He says, oh, well. So I'm just going to warn you. He doesn't, he doesn't talk much. And so Ray comes out, says, hey, I'm Ray. And that's about all he says. I follow him into a conference room. He sits me down. He's on one side of the conference table. I'm on another. He opens his notebook. And I was expecting you know, some sort of, hey, you know, tell me about you type questions or like we're doing. But instead, his first question out of his mouth was an accounting question. And I'd taken counting, accounting in college. I'd done reasonably well in it, um, but I blanked. And you know, here was one of my first serious interviews. And I just, <laughs> just blanked. And other than thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to tell my parents? I screwed up my first interview. But um, yeah, I thought for like, seemed like an eternity. I'm sure it wasn't an eternity. And I turned to Ray and I said, you know, I, um, 
yeah, I know the answer to this question, but it's, it's just escaped my mind. And I don't want to try to tell you something I'm not sure of. So, you know, I can go home tonight, get the answer for you and, you know, call you tomorrow with the right answer. And he doesn't say a word, closes his notebook, stands up and leaves the room. That's been my interview so far. And I'm sitting there, head on the table, like, oh, my God, what I do? And a few minutes later, this other gentleman walks in, and he says, uh, I'm Brian. I'm the whole boss of this whole office. Ray works for me. He says, so um, Ray tells me he wants to hire you. Wow. That was, bas that was basically my interview. <laughs> so, so what was the takeaway there? Well, takeaway was just, you know, have some integrity, right? Don't don't try to BS your way. Be honest. Uh, you know, owe up to something you don't know. You can always find out the answer, but just be upfront with people. And I mean, I guess I've been raised right by my parents, but to have that instinct. But it's just something that was reinforced day one, and it's just carried through throughout my career. It's it's helped in many occasions. Boy, I, it's a definitely a lesson that I have uh, shared my own. Uh, shared my own version of that story over time, which is to say that, you know, it's it's so much better to just go, I don't know, or I know, but I'll find out later, you know, whatever it is, uh, as opposed to that whole idea that I'm going to BS my way through it, right? And this is actually, I think, where sales often gets a bad reputation, because not everybody operates <laughs> under that. What, would you agree with well, that? Well, I think in life in general. I mean, it's not just sales, yeah, as, as, yeah. as, as we're seeing in the world today. Uh, it's not not uh, purely in sales you see it, but yeah, sales has a reputation for saying anything. Unfortunately, there's still some people who who want to take the easy route, and um, yeah, I mean, the stereotypes exist for a reason. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh, okay, so uh, how about you know that was a very good defining moment in terms of you know let's just stand on uh, doing the right thing. What about was there a best day in your professional life so far? Some day where you just sat back and you go, you know what? I'm glad I'm here. I'm I'm doing the right thing and I'm loving it. Gosh, I don't know if there's one that that stands out. I mean, there's um <laughs> I mean, there's so many stages in a career, at least I've been in mine, that you know, I progressed to a point and was able to do things I wasn't able to do before. Uh, you know, I think there are moments I sort of found myself in certain meetings, thinking about who I was dealing with and what we were trying to sell, that that it sort of dawned on me like wow, I've come a long ways from, <laughs> from where I started. And, but it was just, yeah, some of it was deliberate, but some of it was just putting myself in a situation to, to learn and to absorb new things and to be open to new experiences and to, you know, uh, challenge my comfort zone, if you will. And I think that for most of my career, I've, I've operated outside my, my comfort zone. You know, I've put myself in situations where I've had to learn something new, whether it was selling a really complex technical product, which I did for years for most of my career before starting my own company. I was 20 plus years selling, you know, complex technical products and I was a history major. So I had to learn the products, I had to learn the customers, I had to learn how they applied it. And yeah, I wasn't self-sufficient. They were, they were, they were complex. I need to bring in help, but being able to orchestrate that and and have the business conversations that need to be had with the customer at a strategic level. Um, yeah, it was just constant learning. And that's that I think was just sort of led me to various places in my career. It's like I said, I sort of woke up and said, wow, didn't think I'd be here. I love that. You know, sometimes and most often actually, those milestones, at least in my experience, you you only recognize later. Um, so for me, it's very rare that I, in the moment, go, wow, hang on, this is pretty awesome. Uh, it's happened. Uh, and I think being able to have that recognition of, you know, I, I'm kind of happy to be here. Lucky, sometimes people would say I'm lucky to be here, but usually it's, a, it's an engineered outcome. Would you? Well, I think luck plays a big role. I mean, I think yeah. happenstance, if you will, maybe. I mean, it's, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And my career took a huge change actually one day when I got laid off at a startup that was basically cratering. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I was living in Silicon Valley at that time. And I went home and that was a Friday and, and Saturday my Fortune magazine arrived and I was paging through it and saw this article about this local company in Silicon Valley that was pioneering the use of certain satellite technology and for very small satellite dishes, which was revolutionary at that time. And I said, hmm, interesting. So I picked up the phone Monday and cold called him. And 
managed to get my way in to set up an appointment to talk to the vice president of sales, even though they said they had no opening in sales. And then when I met the guy, uh, it turned out that actually I had interviewed with him like four years before that. He had offered me a job that I'd turned down. And so, you know, happenstance, luck, right? I mean, that took me on a path of my career from selling, you know, computers to selling large complex communication systems that sold for millions of dollars. So, I mean, it put me in a completely different path and it was, it was sort of luck that it happened that way. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I, I do love the fact though, that you're able to take that, you know, kind of unexpected or lightning bolt, uh, you know, the unexpected surprise lightning bolt that's like, hey, Friday, good news, everybody, uh, you're out. And, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, obviously well. not a great uh, time. And then by <laughs> Monday, you've already turned that thing into something bigger and better. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, again, that's why I said happenstance, you know, things, things sort of happen for a reason. So, yeah, the guy hiring me was great. I mean, I had to make my own success once I got there. But I mean, there's always things, I'm a huge believer that you make your own luck, but there's also just a, you know, confluence of circumstances. Like, you know, how do you, how do you meet your wife, right? Out of all the billions of people in the world, how do you meet that one person? Well, there's a certain amount of luck involved in that, right? Yeah, we like serendipity. That's uh, that's a-okay with me. Let me yeah. ask you this. A lot of entrepreneurs and uh, business folks, they struggle um, at times in their, their career. And, the, you know, there's times where many of them have looked in the mirror and go, you know, should I keep doing this? Maybe I should just go get a, you know, a cubicle a gig or, you know, some <laughs> yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you ever had one of those days where you're like, I just want to check out and go do something easier? <laughs> um. Not really. I mean, and I say that in all honesty, because it doesn't mean there haven't been really hard days where it's like, I need to go take a break. But yeah, I spent, I started my company for a reason. One is I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to be self-employed as opposed to working for other people. And no real temptation to go back to that. Though I did have an occasion in my career where I, I was doing work for a client and they said, hey, you know, we need help doing certain things. You want to come on board. So I did sort of set my business aside for a few years and, and go to work for a client, but it was a very collaborative environment. I was one of the sort of the founding members of the the company. So it, it uh, was a little different environment in that regard, but yeah, I wasn't running away from anything at that point. At that point it was like, we're going to raise a bunch of money for this company and had a huge upside. And um, ultimately it did. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely not a uh, a give up time. That's a uh, let's do something fun time. Uh, yeah, but I mean, my goal is always to go back and work for myself and keep my company going. So it's just just one of those things, sort of a one off. Interesting. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have you frame up kind of the standard problem that entrepreneurs face when it comes to the sales uh, process and mm. uh, or, or perhaps lack thereof. So we'll be right back <laughs> after this. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again, Awesomers, and uh, we're here with Andy Paul, and he's going to talk to us about kind of a common situation that entrepreneurs find themselves in, and that, at least in my opinion, I'm going to let him put it in his own words, is the kind of a lack of a sales process, or perhaps even the lack of awareness that you need a sales process. Uh, Andy, what say you? Uh, how do you frame up the problem that most entrepreneurs face? Well, I mean, multiple levels with entrepreneurs with sales. I mean, one is certainly, as you said, a lack of a lack of a dependable process, if you will, for sales. But I would think even before that, the one that's most critical, I find, is having a reliable, consistent process for hiring sales candidates. And so getting the right people on board. Now, hiring is is not fun in the best of circumstances and requires investment of time and energy. But especially in smaller businesses tend to done be done, excuse me, fairly randomly, right? I Somebody comes in, oh, I like this person, let's let's hire them. Um, so not a sufficient amount of rigor in the process. So uh, one thing I do is work with with clients and also at the sales house, we've, we've got a, a whole course on this is how do you use data to help you 
uh, make emotional or make unemotional hiring decisions, right? How do you take the emotion out of hiring? Because hiring is just like buying or selling. It's driven by emotion first and foremost. So, so how do you, how do you get a good sort of candid objective view of a candidate? And so we put together this course. It has sort of five steps you go through. And that's that people can find it at saleshouse.com. But it starts with getting as much data into the process as you can. So, you know, when you screen a resume, what you do is put put together a scorecard and say, okay, here are seven attributes we're going to look at. And we're going to score these on a one to five basis. And one of the attributes could be uh, the resume, right? I had a client I worked for who was an absolute believer that GPA was essential. Then he hired, you know, it didn't matter if somebody had been out of school for 20 years, they needed to have had a certain GPA, even back in college, for him to even consider them. So for him, that would be one criteria, and he could rank that on one to five. Another criteria could be your screening interview, right? Did they, were they prepared? Did they have the right questions? Had they actually looked at your website and the company? Uh, are they, you know, three could be their experience level. You'd define these criteria, one of which are the interviews themselves. And there's a whole different process of use for interviewing these days that's that's not just getting three people in the company to ramp, meet with this person ask random questions but we actually define a set of questions that everybody that talks to the candidate is going to ask this exact same questions in the exact same order so you can put a score to you can gauge how does this person answer these questions how these four different people score it and look at it collectively well the point being is you have these seven criteria you score and then you look at the cumulative score and say, okay, if your max was, let's say you had seven questions, max score of 35, hey, anybody that doesn't get above or below, anybody that scores below a 30, we don't hire. Well, that just takes the emotion out of it at that point. And it doesn't mean you can't apply some judgment to it, but you really have to put in place a process, trust the process. And it's actually pretty simple to do. It takes a little bit of pre-work, but once you've got that in place, then you say, okay, the second thing is now how do we start attracting better candidates? And the thing with a lot of companies is they they don't try to market themselves through their job recruitment. You know, when they put up a job posting, it's like, what's interesting about this company, right? You're competing. You're in a competitive marketplace trying to get top talent. How are you making yourself look attractive to candidates? And that's something that that takes work so well as work as well. And sometimes it even takes work before that is you have to do a little examination of your own corporate culture and say, is this a place where someone wants to come work? Boy, you know, can, that, we, can, can we attract the A candidates? That's a mirror that a lot of us don't want to look into. Uh, so the, the reality is without having kind of that corporate culture or, you know, understanding your own belief systems and values, it's difficult to then say what you stand for. I, I don't mm-hmm. know how you feel about that, but we often say, you know, it starts with your own values. And if you can't say, does this person match my values as a key indicator on that scorecard, you're off to the wrong start because it doesn't matter how talented somebody is if they have different values in the organization, often the fit won't last long. Is that your experience yeah. as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you see that turnover a lot in small businesses, SMBs, as salespeople tend to turn over more frequently than they should. But to give an example of one client that was looking for a you know, pretty top-notch sales individual, and I was looking at their job listing, and it was just, you know, we need somebody with this amount of experience, and and this is the market we serve. And I was very dry and but the story they have is not dry i mean they're a family-owned business they've a minority-owned family-owned business been in business 40 years um you know they promote from within you get to engage a lot with senior management day-to-day basis they've you know innovated in certain product areas that are pretty cool they're growing rapidly i mean they have all these things that they could have said which they ultimately did say in the job posting that that made them look much more attractive that reflected the reality of, of the company. And so as a company, you guys say, okay, as you said, what do we stand for? What are we really like? And if it's not something that, that you know, is going to be attractive to people coming in from the outside, then you need to take that step back and say, what, what needs to change? Well, it's a good takeaway for all the awesomers out there listening. Uh, why not apply a little of those marketing chops to the, the recruitment process? Ultimately, you know, your people are the key, I don't know, uh, they will define whether or not you succeed or fail, in my opinion. As you try to scale, if you don't have good people, you're, you're kind of, uh, you're, you're going to be in trouble, basically. In my view, people are the key to scale. What do you think? Oh, sure. Absolutely. But you, you need to be able to keep them. 
And that's yeah. that's really the, the key thing. I think a lot of companies can be good at recruiting folks, but they're lousy at retaining them. And that ultimately gets back to the, the culture or the lack of culture uh, that exists at the company in terms of you know, how do we treat our customers? How do we treat our employees? Um, that comes clear. You know, it's hard sometimes from the outside to really discern that. And I had one company that, yeah, I went to work, ultimately went to work for very early in my career, a startup, did what I thought was a ton of due diligence. And when I got there, I found that you know, things were quite different than they had been represented. I thought I'd done everything I could to sort of figure that out. I'd talked to people that worked there. I knew somebody that worked there. It just, yeah, you can't learn everything to to you to show up. So as an employer, you have to think, okay, what's it really like to work here? Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, retention, uh, I don't remember the math, but, uh, you know, there's so many uh, studies or examples of the, you know, the cost of kind of hiring and then having that that new hire disappear, you know, within a year's time or it's, whatever. It's expensive. Yeah, I mean, the, the stats are, it can be as a bad hire. This is one study. The bad hire costs you seven times the annual salary. <laughs> Now yeah. that's that's on a high end. Do they all? Yeah, you think about it. If you ask somebody to come in for a year, let's say, and they underperform and they don't meet expectations, or they underperform and take off anyway, or <laughs> let's start with the underperforming uh, scenario first. You've got your benefits, your overhead, all that stuff, and then the opportunity cost on top of it. Yeah, seven times maybe not out of the question. And then if you have a good person that comes in and can perform, but you know, just aren't, if they don't think there's alignment between their values and the company's values, then, you know, that's, that's probably as expensive. Yeah, boy, both of those scenarios are awesome. So now that we've framed up kind of that general nature of the problem, how do you go about fixing that problem? You've, you've, you know, kind of uh, given us a little foreshadowing on a couple of the, the pieces. Yeah, of the it's, it's a process for yeah. hiring. I mean, first of all, you got to focus on attracting the right candidates. So we talked about that. Uh, there are some great resources out there that that talk about how to make yourself more attractive for candidates. I'm not necessarily the expert on that. When it comes to hiring, then, is you do need to have this process that I described. That, and even small companies can have this process. That, that again, the objective is to take as much of the emotion out of the decision making on who you're hiring, and make it as data driven as you can. Now we're humans. Like I said we're driven by emotion, but yeah, I have a client. <laughs> And I, I went into this client, I, I was coaching the CEO and I saw him about once a week and I knew he was looking to fill a spot. And, and I said, look, whatever you do, when you interview someone you like, do not hire them before you let me talk to them. Let's just agree on that. Okay, we'll agree on that. And I show up the next week, he hired this. <laughs> he hired somebody for the sales slot. And I'm like, what are you doing? He says, well, he came in, he, he was dressed nicely, spoke very well. I'm so... I'm like, so? <laughs> What's that have to do with it? I mean, was the appropriate candidate for the slot you're trying to fill? Did they have the experience? You know, did you validate whether they had the expertise to do what you need to do? Did you test it? No, he just you know, thought the guy looked good and he was didn't like the idea of how you don't spend time hiring. That is a the perhaps the most common source of the trouble is where the the leader whoever's involved in the hiring process the ceo for example in your case we we don't want to spend the time right mm -hmm. we're like hey let's just get this thing over with which i mean how many times have you gone you know hey let's just go to the quickest solution possible that that was rarely the best solution in my experience uh, sometimes it can be but it rarely is right yeah it's it's just so rare that that you've you know the the first person or two that walks in that, that says the right stuff is is kind of your best candidate. How about any any general ideas of where people should be looking as far as part of the hiring process? Where they should be looking for candidates? Yeah, do you recommend LinkedIn or, or other oh. job boards or how, how do you go about it? Yeah, your networks are your most effective, right? If, if, you, if you've done a good job of asking people within your network that you, excuse me, that you, per, that you know personally, right? About, and say, look, this is very specifically the type of person we're looking for for this specific type of role. You have to be as specific as you can, not just we're trying to hire a salesperson, but you know, somebody that can do these things, can talk to these types of companies, is comfortable in this type of environment. Start there. And the thing is, you should be doing that constantly, right? You should always be working your network to see sort of who they know, who they might know, who they've met, that maybe somebody that could be of interest to you. 
And recruiting is really a full-time, should be a full-time occupation in terms of something you do a little bit of every day, not that completely consumes your day. Uh, so building your networks, and then depending on the type of company you are, LinkedIn can be great. I mean, I've had a lot of success there with clients I've worked with. They tend to be more in the tech space. Um, I'm sure there are other spaces that works for as well. Um, but I have, I have a client that uh, was in like the oil and gas space, and it wasn't as fruitful for them to find people on LinkedIn. So you sort of have to test it perhaps and see. Then, yeah, there are job boards. Uh, don't people have success with Indeed or Monster or one of these type companies? Um, it's like everything in life. You just want to sort of test it, you know, before you go a whole hog on it. See which one might potentially generate the quality of candidates that you want. But in general, you're going to find your best, I think, your best bets, in, especially if you're recruiting locally, is just your network. Who do you know? And just being out there. Um, you know, if you're a CEO and, and you're in a specific field, let's say, uh, again, maybe you're in the biotech field, what are all the biotech associations locally you can join and go to meetings and just meet people who are available? You know, maybe you think, ah, we're going to need a VP of sales in, in a year. Get out in the community, find out who's there um, before you need it. Yeah, that's so smart. I definitely would uh, uh, echo this idea that the network can be your, your strongest asset when it comes to this, especially if you have that kind of ongoing, you know, I'm going to be hiring a lot of people for a long time. You always have that eye towards, you know, making relationships and developing those relationships. One of the ways we have found um, to find, I would say, high quality people is using your network idea. And often it's through like sales people that already work for suppliers or vendors that call on us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when we see those people, especially when they get to know our business and, and maybe, you know, our business is, you know, uh, has some e-commerce bend to it. So it's a little more exciting for them. Uh, and, and if there's an opportunity, uh, many of those will, they'll come and start to sell us on the idea of, you know, coming in. And so sometimes you can actually have that network be feeding you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's certainly one or take it another step is if you have salespeople, and this is, I've certainly seen this in the past is salespeople calling on you. Uh, well, they call on lots of companies like you. And so the same thing is, so you ask, Hey, have you run into anybody at any of your other clients that potentially could be interested? Yeah, I've seen that work many times. Yeah. That networking is uh, very powerful. And for those who source from China, I, I get this question a lot. Um, you know, how do they find somebody who's, uh, who's a good asset in China? And just a little pro tip, this same networking idea works there too. If you have a really great, uh, you know, foreign trade rep that works at a, a factory in China, that's a good person to talk to about who do they know, or perhaps they're even interested themselves in some sort of sourcing position you have. So that networking is really, really a valuable tip. Thank you for that. It is. I mean, you, but you do, to your point is you need somebody especially in China. You need somebody on the ground there that uh, can help you discern who's good and who's not. For sure. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about a deeper dive into how your process, all these hours of courses and things that you've created, how, how did you get all that stuff? I, I'm curious to know. I'm sure others are sure, as well. Sure. Uh, we'll find out more right after this. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again, everybody. And Andy Paul is giving us the whole rundown on how we get a sales hiring process, how we find the right people, and maybe even how we uh, can make a sale and make a, a sales process that works for us. Um, Andy, you, you mentioned that earlier that you have, I thought you said a couple hundred hours of course material at uh, your, your new website. 
Right. So if at the saleshouse.com, it's yeah, sales education uh, platform, if you will, community for B2B sellers. And we're targeting primarily small, mid-sized businesses with this because we think it's it's an underserved population when it comes to sort of this, the latest and greatest in terms of sales, sales perspective, sales thought leadership, uh, sales technique, uh, tools and technologies, and so on. So um, yeah, I think we, in total, in terms of total hours of content now, we're probably up over 400. And it's a mix of courses, uh, which largely things that I've put together over the years in my business. Um, we have uh, what we call master classes, which are conversations with world-class experts about a specific topic. Uh, we have doing live workshops, a kind of webinar type thing for the community. We're doing a couple of those a month, again, about a specific topic of interest. Uh, and then we have um, live coaching hours every week. So people have sales challenge, they can come in and so it's it's all a byproduct of all the the content of forty plus years in sales <laughs> and nearly twenty years as a consultant as a coach working with small mid sized enterprises to help them transform their sales efforts. So um, we're sort of prioritizing the topics that we're we're creating courses about, and we have some courses that are longer form, like the hiring process, that are divided into five parts. That each part's about twenty minutes long. Uh, and then we also have a number of courses, just specifically 10-minute courses, right? Somebody doesn't have a lot of time to invest. And the whole theory is if you want to succeed in business, if you want to succeed in sales, is you have to become a continuous learner. And I'm sure your audience leans that direction because they're listening to this podcast. But you have to be deliberate about investing some of your time every day to get just a little bit smarter. You know, and that has a compounding effect. You know, if you can be kept, you know, use the imagery of getting 1% smarter every day, that knowledge is going to compound itself. And so we're trying to be that resource for people to come. And for another example, the content we're providing, which I think is really valuable for entrepreneurs, is there's been this huge revolution in sales technology in the last five years, where uh, I think there are five years ago, maybe 100 companies that were developing not just CRM systems, but a whole range of tools designed to help sales teams. Now I think there's like 1,500, 2,000 companies that are offering these. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm picking the ones that I think are interesting and, and I have no financial stake in this at all. It's just the ones I think are interesting and bringing the CEOs on. I'm, we're doing a like sort of 15-minute conversation. Then we're recording a demonstration of the tool for 15 minutes. So we're creating this library of applications that members can come in and say, look, I might be interested in something to help me with my outbound prospecting. Hey, I can go see a demonstration here on the sales house. I don't have to call the salesperson quite yet. I can sort of do my research. And so we're trying to expose, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and again, in people in the SMB space to this fast emerging space where there's a lot of, lot of new change, new things going on, a lot of change taking place. Things that aren't appropriate in all cases, but what I'm trying to highlight are the ones that could be appropriate for, uh, for SMBs and for, you know, more skilled sales team. Certainly. Uh, well, I, first of all, I want to, just reinforce this idea of being a, a you know ongoing learner. This this premise is something we truly believe in, and as you said, it's a kind of self-selecting audience here. People are here to learn, and they're here mm -hmm. to kind of expand mm -hmm. their mind. So that's already uh, highly uh, accretive in terms of their own knowledge. We do believe in intellectual equity and that compounding effect. We think it you know that is some kind of value that you can never take away. Uh, it's a really great oh absolutely. Um, it's I a huge also, huge differentiator for people as well. Yeah, without question, it's it's um, for me. It, it's the people who just start coasting that they find the the, the more challenges in life, right? It, it, it often yes. If you're pushing yourself, you're kind of expanding your own mind. Ideally, it's fun too, right? If you can enjoy what you're doing, and that's that's one of the the biggest keys. I, I did have a chance to listen to a couple of the um past things that you've done and i found you know your style very engaging i have no doubt that the content is as well uh, how do you find that you know you're able to keep up this pace of just kind of continuous teaching uh to help us continuous <laughs> learn well as i said before we're close to 700 episodes of our podcast and, and I, I tell people this is really perhaps one of the most selfish things i've done in my life is is to produce this podcast because i've been able to talk nearly 700 really smart people and learn and yeah, I'm 42 years into my sales career 
And I'm still learning something new every day that I can apply in my work. And so the podcast has been a great, actually, I started with that, that purpose because um, <laughs> I just felt there were things happening that I wasn't keeping as abreast of as, abreast of, as I should have. And so this has been a great, great thing for me. But it's sort of in my life, I've, I tell people the story and it's in the, in the sales house as part of our philosophy is, is there is a British philosopher, um, Thomas Huxley, who, who wrote at one point, he said, you know, in life, your goal should be to try to learn something about everything and everything about something. And so for me, that's, I've had that in my, that quote in my life for a long time. And I've sort of this insatiable curiosity about all things, not just sales, but you know, things in general. So yeah, so I, I, I read widely. I read about a lot of different things. I, you know, engage and have a lot of interest and then that's sort of the something about everything. And then the everything about something is, is not just sales, but really what we're focusing on the sales house is the relationships, right? And how do you, how do you connect and engage with another person? How do you, you know, build trust? How do you inspire people? I said to go on this buying journey with you. And that's part that's, that's overlooked so much in so much of our sales training. And that's what we're talking about, educating people on the importance of, of that. So and that's a that's a field that's just booming. And you know, since World War II, there's been so much work done on neuroscience and understanding how the brain works and decision making works and how we influence people. That there's the art and a science to it, and we think people should learn as much about it as they can because that my belief has always been, based on my experience in sales, is that that first moment you meet somebody, a potential buyer, that's the critical moment. That's the decisive moment. I mean, if that goes badly, you don't have a chance to sell them. And so, yeah, we teach people all this advanced sales techniques all over the map. And it's like, yeah, let's just get back to the basics. You know, there's, there's really four core habits you need to understand and master. And if you can master those, then you can perfect that first interaction. The second interaction, you, you can build a relationship with someone that's going to lead to a trusted advisor role that means they're going to buy from you. And it's just four simple things. I created an acronym about it an acronym is bald and bald and so (laughs) and so it's it's very simple be human that's the b a is ask great questions l listen slowly d deliver value now if you can if you can be human ask great questions listen slowly deliver value you can build a productive relationship with anybody whether it's in your personal life or in a sales context or a business context, that's the key. And we need to be educating people more about that. And if they do that, then I think we'll have more people successful at sales in all walks of, of business. Well, I, I definitely, first of all, I love the acronym. And secondly, I appreciate the fact that what's unique about your solution is that you've reinforced this, this basic premise uh, for those of us who've been around, uh, you know, this is my 30th year in business. We know that relationships are the key. Too often today, we get it mixed up and we, we get it twisted to think, oh, technology is the key. We're going to mm-hmm. send out a million emails. That's going to be the key or you know, whatever the case may be. And- <laughs> yeah, we're going to personalize at scale, quote unquote, as uh, if you're just listening, I'm giving air quotes, um, which is, you know, that's an oxymoron. You can't personalize at scale. Um, so you're right. Technologies, you can't substitute technology for the relationship. It's a tool. It's leverageable. We like it. Yes. Uh, I'm not a uh, obstacle. You know, I love technology uh, in the right usage, but it's not a substitute for relationships. Certainly not in the complex sales space. So uh, I want to ask you, Andy. So a lot of our sure. listeners they're in the e-commerce space. So mm. they, they have this general idea that no, no, my website makes the sales. Uh, I don't have to make sales. So what do I need to know about sales? Uh, what What would you say to somebody with that uh, attitude? They're wrong. Fair enough. All right. Do tell. How so? Well, I mean, you still have to engage somebody's interest. You still have to connect with them on a human level. You still have to build trust. I mean, people are, you know, if it's a small dollar amount, they they may go ahead and, you know, make a a speculative purchase. But in general, you know, people are a little conservative with their money as they're going to want to trust the source before they go ahead and make the purchase. So, you may be doing that, not face-to-face, but doing that through the copy on your website, through the sequence you take them through once they sign up for your mail list and you put them in your funnel. But the basics are still 
sort of the same. I mean, what happens is there is a, we've seen obviously in the last 20 years, there are products that where the, the person selling, the channel selling has no value. So it's a perfect time to be sort of e-commerce based and transactional. And then, you know, those are, you still need to stand out and differentiate yourself in those spaces. There are also products where people still only get human validation for the decision before they, they pull the, pull the trigger. So uh, for e-commerce, I think it's mirrored the same. It's just handled differently and yeah. it'll proceed a little bit differently. And usually, again, usually the stakes are a little less, but even in complex sales now, a lot of times the early stages of the funnel are taken care of through, you know, digital means. And, you know, we're seeing some very effective uses of, of chat bots on websites that sort of mimic humans. Some are kind of effective. Um, we'll see a greater role for those, but depending on, again, if the product has any sort of complexity or value to it, people still want to talk to a human. And so I think what we'll see over the long term is that, that yeah, we're going to see more AI and machine learning and technology coming into sales, but yeah, people at the end of the day still want to talk to a person. So this ability to connect and engage really becomes even more important, I think, in that environment than it is even today. So people with those skills are going to be in high demand. Without a doubt. I definitely want to you know, kind of give my own perspective that, you know, I, I always like to break it down that marketing is kind of generating the lead and sales is converting the lead. And it, the process of doing that in e-commerce could be that you're having the funnel or the website do it itself. It could be that you're driving them to the telephone to get somebody mm-hmm. on the phone to sell them. Uh, too often, uh, e-commerce guys are thinking too small, uh, particularly when they, they've started on a marketplace concept like Amazon or eBay or something, they don't have this broader picture that, you know, if you had a, a sales uh, force answering telephones, especially if you have bigger ticket items that can rationalize this, uh, you can get sales more often. You can get, you know, drive higher average order values. There's all kinds of ways to leverage a sales process, uh, mm-hmm. not just your website. Uh, one of the other things that we find, and I, I'd love your input on this one, you know, Selling into big boxes, selling into, you know, maybe you have a, a product that has a licensing deal or a patent on it, you know, being able to sell those complex items into big boxes to really add some serious scale, that seems to be a classic sales job. What do you think about that? You're saying selling a product into big box retail stores or? Yes, sir. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it's different, right? Because the process that those companies will use to evaluate products and decide whether they're going to move fast enough, right, to, to warrant the shelf space is a little different calculation than someone saying, look, we're trying to invest in a specific solution to solve a problem within our business. So it, it is a little bit different uh, in terms of, you know, what the end result is and a little different in terms of how the, the game is played. Um, but yeah, if it's a product with complexity, it's, it's relatively similar. Um, you know, complexity... I don't know, sort of the equalizer, if you will, to some degree, is, is uh, there's a study that was done uh, on medical care that showed that there were, uh, I don't say robots, but there are AI machine robots, if you will, that they're programmed to help people uh, make medical decisions, medical care decisions. And, you know, the surveys they took of the people participating in this program was that generally, as a rule, people didn't feel comfortable making those final decisions without a doctor. You know, mm-hmm. that doing it purely in consultation with the, the machine was, <laughs> was not, not adequate. Um, so I've, I got off track a little there, but I, I think that, you know, the lesson is still the same is that, you know, as you deal with products of complexity, you're going to have more, more likely to have humans involved. And this is ability to build those relationships is really critical if you're selling into a retail environment and you've got a product um, that that <laughs> I've done that a couple <laughs> sometimes and that's that's hard sale because again the just the decision criteria are completely different and you don't have quite as much control you know we we're selling a product that that um, uh, they didn't have any experience with so they just wanted to trial at a one store and then we could do two stores and we could you know, we were within a region then into that region worked we go to another region and it's not like selling to a large enterprise hey here's our enterprise-wide solution which is you know a different sale so it it's um not only necessarily the same skills a little different patience level um so actually when i was doing that <laughs> 
yeah, that I found that wasn't wasn't uh, as well suited to me as uh, selling directly to the enterprise. Yeah, that they're definitely different animals, and I think that's the the fundamental takeaway is if you're not prepared to sell into a particular channel with your sales team, with all the right recruiting and all the, the even the the patience level, which you talked about, I think all of that's going to be relevant. Uh, people too often, in my experience anyway, they have a cool product that's selling well online. Maybe they've done a Kickstarter or something like that. Mm -hmm. They're getting some excitement. Even now they have uh, big boxes or our retailers contacting them, but the process is so different that that sales channel is so different that I want them to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and get prepared for it because it is a different animal. Uh, and it sounds like your experience uh, proved that out. Yeah. Well, in our case, we were a venture funded startup and, and uh, it became like a daunting prospect to the investors to say, look, we're going to build out retail distribution on a nationwide scale for this particular product. Cause that's uh, a different financial, <laughs> different financial game than saying, look, we're going to be, you know, an OEM supplier or, you know, a white label supplier to, to other people and they'll handle all the distribution. But um, yeah. Yeah, as, as I sort of got into it, sort of the easiest one actually of that was actually getting our product into Amazon. Um, getting it then into some of the other big box stores was was way more difficult. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I think that uh, experience uh, it continues to this day in in that same regard. It's much easier to get things online, particularly at Amazon, uh, because they want the largest catalog on the on the planet, right? They're they're driven to have the largest catalog. Well, they still have category managers that I think their incentives are based on, obviously, on how much sells in their category. But um, the planning horizon is different than a physical store where they've got their, their planograms that go out six, nine, 12 months in advance. And if you're not there in that, that interval, then potentially you're shut out for the next cycle. And that, that was a problem we ran into. It is. Uh, that's not uncommon <laughs> for people yeah. to be surprised. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, hey, good news. Uh, the planogram's coming up again in March, and it's it's like June, and it's like, oh, that's nine months away. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just when we start looking at it. By the way, that's not when we buy your product. That's you yeah. know, probably another nine months after that before they do the the reset of the store. So it could. Be yeah, a and we were. Process. And we, in this case, we we missed Christmas, even though it was well under advance of Christmas, but yeah, we missed it. So that was not the problem. Yeah, that's uh, that's the nature of the beast uh, in retail for sure. So let me ask you this. What, uh, what are the types of calls to action that you would have for entrepreneurs out there listening? Anybody who may recognize, you know, they need some some uh, fine tuning on their sales process, their hiring process, whatever the case may be. What, what would you say to those folks? Well, so break it down. So for hiring, you need to have a process. That's, let's start there. Um, and a process that's that's geared to get a lot of input into it. So again, you mitigate the the impact of emotions and hiring. Um, you know, a sales process. A lot of a lot of different opinions on this, but the fact is, you need to have one that you've written down that you understand what what is happening in your sales today. Yeah, I did a survey a few years ago of about 350 small businesses, and less than 30%, about 28% actually had a documented sales process. And, and I, I just for the, just for the heck of it, um, I put one of the answers is, you know, do you have a written sales process? It was no, you know, why not? And just for a joke, I put in one of the answers, well, we just like to make it up as we go along. And that was 42% of the people responded <laughs> um, that way, which was a little, a little frightening. It's, it doesn't mean you need to be a slave to your process. I mean, sometimes I think processes are too rigid these days and they're not designed to really help bring the best out of your sales team and the individuals on your team. But, but you need to know how your product gets sold. And from the time, let's say you're, you've got inbound leads coming in, you know, from the time that lead is received, how, what's the process till it gets into the hands of a salesperson, the salesperson picks up the phone and calls the, the, the prospect. How long does that take? How many touches does it have along the way? You need to know all of that stuff. Because then you can say, okay, this is what it looks like. These are the results we're getting. Now we can analyze it and say, okay, well, where, and these are the people we have. Where do we need to start making changes? You know, otherwise, you're sort of shooting in the dark. So having that, that documented really becomes important for you and as a starting point. But then as an ongoing basis, is, you know, if you have a process, then you can also then create expectations for what people should be doing. Because one of the biggest causes of, sales underperformance is the sellers aren't really clear about what they should be doing. 
it seems sort of counterintuitive, but you need to make it unambiguously clear to people what the roles and responsibilities are and what the expectations are for them in that role. And you're going to see that teams at, at any level and also in, in sports, even this is, you know, become so critical and sales is no different as, as people really understand what they should be doing. Then, you know, it's much easier for them to succeed, right? They can plan their day. They can plan their activities. They can work with a manager to help improve their skills. Like you can develop as a corporation, you can invest in developing their individual skills and capabilities. If you know exactly what the target is you're shooting at. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I love this idea that, you know, we, we don't want to be so rigid on, on a process that we, we kind of break ourselves and we, we, we don't add the human element back into it, right? That, uh, mm. You got to have the human piece. Um, and, but I really want to reinforce this idea that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? This, this premise that, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know your process, you don't know how long each thing's happening and how many calls are being made or, you know, those, some of those little basic little data points, it's really tough to, to figure out where the holes are sometimes. Absolutely. And so sales is a numbers game. I mean, there's no escaping it at the end of the day is there are, everybody has ratios. So I call it your number. And so I work with sales teams and sales individuals. I want them to know what their number is, right? How many calls do they have to make to generate a prospect, a qualified prospect uh, that is going to go through the, the sales process and, you know, that eventually will convert to an order. You know, they got to work through the entire chain. How many calls, you know, discovery calls, proposals, so on. Understand that, what it is for you. The problem we get with so many teams is they think that it should be the same for everybody on the team. And it doesn't necessarily need to work that way. Uh, this is where we're getting to a lot of inside sales teams is they have activity metrics, fine to some degree, but those suddenly become the kings, the activity metrics, and not the quality of what they're doing. And so it's, yes, it's a numbers game, but it's not all about quantity. It is ultimately about the quality. So I, you'd say, okay, well, I've got some guy that has his process down. His numbers are he closes one out of every five proposals he gives. Okay. But do you want to standardize on that? Or, yeah, maybe you got somebody else who closes two out of every three that they give, but they get the same, sell the same dollar amount. That's fine. I don't want everybody to be on the same track in a small business. I want people to perform to a certain level, but they may have different paths to get there, and that's okay. Nice. Yeah, I definitely, uh, the flexibility, especially in the smaller organizations is so key because, uh, you know, there's just, there's differences in people, there's differences in their approach. Uh, also, as we talked about earlier, the serendipity of it all. Sometimes you get guys who are lucky in the early in the sales process, they hit some numbers and then they have a dry spell because somebody else is farther along uh, or, or less advanced in the sales process. Right. Well, I think, I think the, the thing that entrepreneurs need to look out for is, as they grow is there's this tendency and I see it all the time is that sort of the first salesperson in the door has all the good accounts. <laughs> and so as the company grows, they add more salespeople it's saying, well, why aren't these people performing the same way that John did when we started the company? That's well, because John's got all the accounts. And so what I do when I go to a company in, in that situation is force John to divest. And because you took John, who was your best new business development person, and turned him into an account manager, which is crazy. But I, again, I'll maybe 90% of the companies I've worked with over the years, some form of this has happened. You take your best person who is really good at going out and capturing new, new, new business from new clients, and you made him a, an account manager sitting there clipping coupons. So you need to get them back doing what they're really good at. And... The way to do that is, is make them divest accounts. What I did with one client I was with is there was a situation where this guy had 70% of the business coming, flowing through him. There are three other salespeople. And I said, okay, well, you have to, every quarter, you have to give up 30% of your accounts. Wow. And till it was equalized. And these other people went from struggling to suddenly, oh, yeah, they just needed the opportunity. They needed the right accounts, right? This was not a company that was selling to an infinitely large market. They're selling a kind of complex technical product of which there was a finite number of accounts. So he wasn't, the big guy wasn't giving them the attention they needed, although. So he started the bottom, started divesting. Suddenly, some of these accounts started blooming in ways they never had before. 
I have seen that myself uh, in uh, a number of cases, uh, distribution and manufacturing relationships where they've uh, you know, kind of brought on new people for the smaller accounts, and suddenly those accounts turned into to much more than they were uh, before they had the kind of the the bottom of the attention span. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very very yep. good advice. Uh, all right, Andy, as we bring it to a close, let me sure. ask you to get out your crystal ball here. Mm. Maybe just uh, tell us, you know, what the the world of of sales, or you know, you talked about chatbots, just anything that you think is going to happen in the next five years that that would be worthy of entrepreneurs taking note of or, or thinking about ahead of time? Any uh, predictions you can share? You know, that's a, I'm just laughing because it's, there's so many predictions uh, that occur that, you know, some fraction of which will, will happen. But, you know, undoubtedly, look at the trends. There's, there's more technology coming into sales that's geared to helping the seller, right? They're not really geared to helping the buyer. They're geared to helping the seller. I mean, the seller's got the internet, but, um, some of these tools are going to prove to be very useful. And we're sort of in the stage now where, where there's a, a lot of adoption going on and the results aren't really reflecting the value of the technology yet. That's going to change. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced it's going to change is that we're going to learn how to use these tools effectively to be able to uh, not only eliminate some of the repetitive tasks that, that but take time of sellers, but also enable people to engage at a different level and and serve the customers. Because if you assume that what customers are trying to do, buyers are trying to do, is they're trying to quickly gather information to make a good decision with the least investment of their time and effort possible, the technology is going to have to span that gap and help them do that. So it can't just be all about the sellers. And I think that is going to happen. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot happen with AI. We're seeing intelligence. I think we're... The, initial province of AI and sales is going to be this whole idea of, again, uh, automating recurring tasks that free up salespeople to hopefully go out and, and sell, spend more time with prospects. Um, and then you'll start seeing it get involved with, I think, helping customers uh, evaluate the alternatives they have in ways that, that don't exist now. It's not going to supplant the salesperson. Again, I think if you read what people are writing about AI, reading about you know, what's going to happen, what the impact will be on organizations is uh, a good book. Jeffrey Colvin wrote a book called Humans Are Underrated. It's a great book for people to read to sort of start with. Is It makes this case, and I absolutely believe it, that that in this environment is the ability to connect and, and engage another person, to collaborate with another person, actually become more valuable skills. So I think for, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, when you're looking at this is is putting more stake on hiring people who are good at working with others, who are good at building relationships, uh, give you that flexibility to react no matter where the market ends up going in that regard. So I think those are sort of the, the big things. Um, yeah, we've got this inevitable pace of technology, focus on getting the right people who can build effective relationships, both internally and externally, and you'll be in good shape. I love it. Well, you guys heard it here first. Uh, I definitely like this premise that, we're going to have, you know, the tools that exist today start to take into consideration the buyers of all people. <laughs> what a great idea. Yeah, uh, the buyers really are the ones who make the engine go around. Uh, thank you, Andy, for joining us. This has been very informative for me. I thank you for your time and and salute you on 600-plus podcasts. I, it's unbelievable. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. It's really great. Well, as I said, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It is fun, yeah. That's uh, but it's a really a monumental task. So kudos to you and uh, Awesomers. We'll be right back after this. Empowered, the name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Wow, what a a fun episode. I really enjoy spending time with Awesomers from all walks of life, and uh, Andy's certainly no exception to that. Now, one of the things that I like to remind people out there is, you know, that sales is a fundamental part of doing business. It doesn't matter if you're in the e-commerce business or a land-based business. 
some sort of creative type of enterprise, uh, maybe in, you know, uh, you're an artist or a, even a studio, any kind of business anywhere requires sales. You really need to understand how to present your offering and how to you know, convince other people that what you have to offer is something that they may be interested in. One thing that I think a lot of people forget is that selling is not just a matter of you going door to door to sell something, right? You need to sell your employees, uh, your team, why what you're doing is an important venture, why they, they want to be involved. You need to sell your vendors, why they should sell to you, why they should trust you, why they should give you credit. Uh, obviously, you need to figure out how you uh, sell to your customers to let them know, you know, again, your offering and, and why that is worthwhile. Selling is a part of who we are and it's a part of what we do in every walk of life. And I hope that whether or not you consider yourself a salesperson or not, that you take some of these sales messages and remind yourself that, you know, marketing, sales, making things happen, relationship building, it's all part of kind of the same tapestry. And it's a really important thing that I think awesomers around the the globe should pay close attention to. This is, again, episode number 42, and all you have to do is go to awesomers.com slash 42 to find links to Andy's uh, programs and books and so forth, and uh, all of the relevant show notes and details for today. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guests, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. Awesomers.com